the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Back again with another episode for you. And this episode, a little bit of a special one. We have Tony Beard, the Chief Technology Officer from Vodafone New Zealand, back in the studio. Welcome along, Tony. Hi, Paul. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to uh, great to catch up again. Uh, lots lots to talk about. And look, just for uh, listeners who are wondering, because we had a bit of a special episode uh, last week and this week, and we've been recording some extra shows. Um, we will be talking about the latest uh, tech news and gadgets as well. So stay tuned uh, for that episode. Uh, we are starting to pack a, a bit more in, I guess you could say, to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, and we do have uh, a bit of video content starting to come through in addition to our weekly shows so a um, little bit of a heads up uh, about that so do uh, keep a watch out on our social uh, channels across uh, Twitter LinkedIn we now have a dedicated YouTube channel for the New Zealand Tech Podcast which has just come online in the last week our first video is up there which is a, a demonstration of Tesla's smart summon feature uh, that was released about a week ago uh, courtesy of a software update so yeah a few interesting bits and pieces there and uh, look a special thank you to the partners that are making New Zealand Tech Podcast possible which includes Vodafone um, right also, we have uh, we have Spark and we have Vocus uh, on on that front from the the telco side. So uh, huge appreciation to them. Uh, we also have uh, Sumo Logic. We have Samsung and HP. So um, if if we had a crowd here, I'd say a huge round of applause for all of these brands that uh, make the show possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so without further ado, let's uh, let's jump in now. Tony, a lot has been going on in. Uh, in the world of uh, telco and uh, particularly uh, you know I guess today we want to dive into what's happening at, at Vodafone New Zealand and since we we last talked you've made an, you know varying announcements but 5G probably uh, being up the top alongside uh, Vodafone New Zealand having uh, changed ownership so um, you know I, th- I, th- I think some interesting things to dive into right, well, we'll start off with, uh, on, with on the that front. how's that yeah yeah I'm okay. kind of curious yeah, sure. because um, it's from the outside anyway. It, it, it looked as though um, Vodafone was was maybe in a little bit of a, a holding pattern for a while, and it seemed to be um, as much investment as maybe we've seen in the past into Vodafone. But with with that change in ownership, it, it seems as though things have really uh, stepped up a notch. So, what, what's it like from your perspective? From my perspective, um, I worked on the um, uh, the um, transaction from both sides I guess um, as it went through and um, having the new owners has been absolutely refreshing um, absolutely focused on growing the business really investing in network and infrastructure which is really where my my uh, passion and heart is so I'm finding it really um, very rewarding having people that are locally based Sydney uh, and and in New Zealand out of Wellington predominantly but across New Zealand who have an infrastructure mindset really trying to build the business and very much supportive of what we're trying to do um, and I mean the 5G announcement was clearly part of that whole acquisition strategy to get us on the front foot in our network space. Yeah and look I, w- I was curious with um, with Vodafone New Zealand stepping out of being part of Vodafone Group 
uh, you know, as as an entity, I wonder, oh, well, what disadvantages is that, is that going to create? But what I've noticed is it seems like you're, you're still very well connected back to uh, Vodafone Group. It's not just that you carry the brand, but there's obviously a, a lot of other things that uh, that that are still going on. Uh, you know, roaming continues on a you know on the on a global basis, albeit with a slight price bump that that came in before uh, before the change. <laughs> um, I don't know what to say about pricing. Um, <laughs> Nothing. Um, I know that's not, I know that's not <laughs> your area, <laughs> Tony. So I can't I can't beat you up for that one. Um, I do travel a bit, so I, you know I, I notice it. But it, um, uh, yeah, it look, looks as though you've got a, a fairly strong, still you know connection to the group. So how does that actually work? So in when practice? we separated from Vodafone, um, we became what's known as a Vodafone Partner Market, and that what that means is um, there is a number of properties around the world that have a relationship back with Vodafone. Um, so we get services like Vodafone TV. Uh, we get the software releases, the set-top boxes, uh, and all of the infrastructure layer is supplied by um, Vodafone, and then we have partner um, content, predominantly Sky TV, right. through through the through the platform itself from a content level. So that would be one example. Um, IoT, so we're still connected into the global IoT platform, which means that when we start to see um, a really huge uptake of global IoT platforms like autonomous cars, you know, you're talking about Tesla earlier, cars, uh, BMW, all of those sorts of cars are more and more having global IoT requirements built into them. So we're part of the IoT platform. Vodafone roaming, so we're still connected to Vodafone roaming services as far as um, all of the interconnect agreements. Vodafone carrier services, um, Vodafone procurement company, which supports on things like big cell site build programs and getting a good price on that because we, you know, New Zealand's probably got a couple of thousand cell towers compared to India with a couple of hundred thousand. So you sort of start to talk about the scale of Vodafone's procurement. So um, there's that aspect. <clears throat> and then at a technology and security level, I'm still part of the global um, technology team. I, I'm still on their WhatsApp group, I notice. So that's great Fantastic. news. I yeah. still get yeah. the so updates from around in. the world, yeah. um, which is really good. So we see what I'd say is the best of both worlds because we are able to pick pieces of technology that we really like to try locally and be innovative, work with other carriers because we're not seen as being fully Vodafone, but we also get all of the benefits of Vodafone. So best of both worlds. Yeah, that's good. And and look, I you know, I, I imagine for their group being uh, being connected with uh, you know smart, innovative uh, Kiwis that, that like to do cool stuff, uh, you know, do, doesn't yeah, you know, doesn't hurt them as well having uh, having you a part of the group. I would really like to see some of the things we're doing, um, basically innovation around some of the new technologies that are coming through if we could push that back into Vodafone globally, that'd be really good. Mm. And I see some opportunities. Yeah, good. Uh, now, 5G, that seems to be the the big uh, buzz at the moment. There's there's a lot of talk in, in all sorts of directions. Can you run us through what, what 5G will actually look like when Vodafone launches in New Zealand uh, in December? So how, how far off is that? Uh, about four weeks. <laughs> December's only around the corner. Yeah, so, yeah, so we're really it, when are you launching? I, I can't remember if there's, is there a specific date? We that have not announced on? a specific date okay. and it's not for me to do that. Okay, um, okay. But December is soon um, and we are on track. We yep. have, I can't imagine, the amount of work that my team's been doing to get this ready for live is 
pretty immense. Um, we've had, um, we'll talk about some of the technology aspects, but some of the antenna designs have been evolving. 5G is still new. We're one of the first countries in the world to go live with 5G and the sort of tens of countries. Um, for Nokia, it's one of the, I think we're 15th country in the world for Nokia. So, um, <clears throat> the amount of change, the amount of um uh, effort to make sure that we have the right spectrum, we have the right r software features, the right antennas, upgrading the cell towers, which we can go on a bit of the structural a bit later on, but all of that's had to be accommodated. <coughs> as far as the build's concerned, we said we would have a um, 100 cell sites live across Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and Queenstown uh, for December. We are currently sitting around 77 sites live on the network today. And also as part of the announcement, we also said we were going to do a massive 4G infill. So that's um, 700 megahertz increasing the footprint of our 4G and increasing the capacity of our 4G network. We're around 122 of those sites in our lives. So the amount of build that's been going on is quite quite dramatic um, and we're on track. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that, that's impressive. Now... The announcement around 5G, you know, it's only a few weeks ago now that it was uh, that it was made. It hasn't hasn't been, you know, hasn't been very long. Was there a lot of work going on behind the scenes before uh, the ownership changed to prep for that? Because it, it, it yeah, it was a you know, it seemed a bit of a surprise. You made the announcement and then oh yeah, we're going to be all switched on in December. So is that that you were working behind the scenes a for, absolutely. for a long time or yes? Um, so we put a plan together um, probably um, late last year, early this year, to be five G ready. And it was around the right timing. Um, obviously, part of this was the new owners coming on board and they bought into the roadmap of um, 4G infill and 5G leadership as being a key plank as far as um, mainly around fixed wireless access so that we have an alternative for some of our um, residential and uh, enterprise customers on 5G with higher data caps and other things on 5G. But also 5G will give us that innovation platform and allow us to move into other areas that we want to get into. So yes, we've been working on it for a while. Yeah, oh, it's uh, it's pleasing to see it coming together. Now, in terms of the the initial sort of five G, you're able to you're able to deliver. Um, that's coming in part. Well, it's coming from Spectrum that you currently own, but of course there are Spectrum auctions that are still to be had. What maybe a couple of years out, we, or in terms of that that next block of Spectrum becoming available. Uh, so, what does that mean? What are the the pros and cons of um, of the Spectrum that you that you have to start with to get started with? Yes. Yeah, so. Um we have um, 58 megahertz of spectrum uh, in our current allocation. Those licenses will expire um, uh 2022, I think it's December 2022. The spectrum auctions that the government's been working on, they're currently sort of talking late next year, I think, is the current date. So um, without temporary licenses or some other um, form of allocation, we're in a pretty good spot to have a 5G network on the 20, uh, 58 megahertz we've got. Um, the limitation that we have of our allocation is it's what's called frequency division duplex, not TDD time division duplex. Um, so we have two blocks of um, 28, 56 in total, I think I said 58 before, 56 in total, 2 times 28. Um, 
which means until we get certain features on the radio, we can't concatenate or carrier aggregate that spectrum. Right. So really TDD spectrum is what, what everybody wants, and we're From talking between 80 to 100 megahertz of spectrum. So we right. don't have as much, and it's split across two blocks. But I can assure you it's showing great performance. It's, of it's good anyway, but it will be even, even, f- better. even better once yep. you... Uh, and is that mostly total speed increase that you will that you will see with that, or are there other peak aspects speed, in terms of speed. yeah latency that are impacted? Or no, 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 it's going to be yeah. around speed, yeah. uh, speed yeah, and capacity. So, the fifty six megahertz we can join together to give us um, quite good capacity. Mm. Great for FWA, fixed wireless access, and other services. But peak speed, you'll start to see a better peak speed with um, one hundred megahertz or eighty megahertz of spectrum, or with some of the other features called carrier aggregation where we can join the two blocks together you'll also get good speed mm. so yeah it'll be mainly speed yeah yeah okay and um, the lower latencies that have been I guess you could say sort of hyped as far as 5G and low latency where what does that picture picture look like I guess from you know what I've heard so far is that um yeah, there are certain things that will enable that lower latency, like yeah, putting uh, servers closer to where people sit and 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 the like. Run run us through how that will how that will work and and where this initial um, yeah five G network will yeah. will will land people from that lower latency. If somebody's let's just say they're sitting at home. Gaming, they can't get uh, fiber, and they're thinking, yeah, five G is going to solve all their uh, uh, their problems from a latency perspective, or or any other scenario. But yeah, how does it? How does that? Um, so, if you go back with? in history, two G was very much a voice, voice and text network. Three G um, was the first sort of foray into um, uh, data. But it still re- relied on very much legacy backhaul and and core network architecture. 4G was data end to end, and um, starting to see the performance with that. And you started to put fibre connections into the base station. So we rolled out fibre to almost 90% of our cell sites today have fibre to the cell site. Uh, and the core network started to get virtualized um, with 4G. So network function virtualization and other things where you start to turn off the legacy bays and bays of equipment. So as you see that level of evolution, 5G would be the next stage. Um, you're talking about fiber to all of the cell sites. You're talking about gigabit per second backhaul. You're talking about um, 5G core ultimately when you move to non-standalone mode, a standalone mode from non-standalone mode having a complete what, what is, cloud. What does that mean? Exactly. So in the first release, release 15, which we're launching, the 4G network is the anchor network for the 5G, and you use a lot of the 4G core infrastructure for um, timing and for other aspects to synchronise between 4G and 5G. When we move to release 16 and beyond, you start to talk about standalone mode, which is 5G end-to-end. And when you get a 5G core, 5G access network, you start to see, obviously with all the backhaul that we've talked about, you start to see much, much lower latency. Uh, and then the, the other item you referred to, which is um, putting servers at the edge of the network, that's called mobile edge compute. And you're basically putting caching and other um, real-time applications right at the edge of the network. So yep. that's where you're down to sub sort of one millisecond latency. Right. I, I hear a bit about mobile edge compute. 
what I don't know is how would you expect that to work in practice? I mean, is there anyone at the moment that's going to be, I guess, paying Vodafone for you to have, um, you know, that 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 uh, compute caching, whatever it looks like, um, you know, at, at every location around your network, or, or where where would those locations? Uh, be or is that something you expect we'll figure it out over the next you know couple of years first comes a bit of the network and then over time um, those use cases start start appearing I think you're right in both cases actually <clears throat> firstly there's a number five 5g is seen as um, almost being a business enabler technology I've talked about fixed wireless access and the speeds for mobile broadband and handsets that's obviously part of it but 5G, a large number of the use cases are around enablement of uh, enterprises and businesses. So things like um, mobile edge compute would be um, useful for and has already been demonstrated for um, manufacturing plants where you want to be quickly reconfigure the manufacturing plant, you want to have low latency, high throughput, a high degree of flexibility, you don't want to be susceptible to um, basically public spectrum like the industrial scientific medical Wi-Fi which could be congested, could get interference. So you see mobile edge compute used in a factory scenario. Um, airports stadiums where you want to start having caching of video and interactive virtual reality for video where you can actually see replays in real time those sorts of things are other areas where mobile edge compute airports where you want to have bespoke information around flight arrivals where the lounges are those sorts of things so I see lots of use cases coming forward for mobile edge yeah I'm I'm really curious to see how those pan out but yeah I've certainly been I've been hearing around that manufacturing uh, side seems to be uh, yeah, very much of, of an interest and uh, you know, I guess we, we've got a world where things move, move pretty quickly and the idea that factories be able to be reconfigured quite easily. Um, yes, there's, I guess if you reconfigure a factory, there's, there's power things that need to be uh, considered, but if data doesn't have to be considered too much um, because there's that um, you know, say private 5G type uh, access within those locations, you know, apparently that's of, of quite a bit of interest. So that's, uh, that's really interesting to, uh, to know. And, and I think that there's been a little bit of a reporting recently about an um, electric vehicle manufacturing facility in, uh, in, in Germany that's taken Which that. Which Vodafone has showcased and yeah. sponsored its looks pretty good yeah and yeah. I also think um, this is great for New Zealand because if you think about um, the fact that we can start having um, mobile edge compute for um, for production for um, rural applications like um, putting sites for um, trans for um, uh, tractors and other things on farms you start to see we get productivity improvements and that means you can become more self-sufficient as a country, which means you're saving export dollars. So mm. I see those sort of productivity um, ads great for us as well. Yeah, yep. And the stadium situation, uh, where 5G comes into play there, we were talking about uh, Eden Eden Park before we, we started. What does that look like? How do you cover, um, you know, what can be... You know, tens of thousands of people in a stadium. How do you cover that at the moment with 
4G, 3G, how do you, you know, how does that actually look? So the traditional architecture that we've used for Eden Park was we've actually got um, seven base stations around the stadium and we use what's called a distributed antenna system. It's called a DAS, D-A-S, acronym. And that means we basically use fibre optics and other distribution to put small antennas all around and then they go back to the radio base station uh cluster that we have in one of the uh, one of the um, rooms downstairs that gives us the sort of capacity we need um, but with 5g we're starting to see things like uh, massive input massive output mimo antennas which give you uh, directional capability so you can actually do much more smarter tailored applications plus you get the capacity speed and latency for instant replays and other interactive things so for instance massive mimo antenna we're launching with a 8x8 array uh, very soon into the new year we'll have a 64 by 64 array which gives you another lift in performance and if you think about it you put one of those antennas on a stadium when people are coming into the stadium at the start of the game it's looking at the, the street outside during the game it's doing the action replays it's giving you the interactive experience for ordering your food giving you location where to deliver that food or whatever it is you've ordered uh, and then after the game it follows you out of the stadium so you don't have patches of black holes you've got capacity where you need it when you need right, it right so you can increase capacity in a, in a particular area you know completely dy- dynamically correct yeah yeah uh, that's uh, that's very cool and the capacity uh you know five 5g wise compared to um 4g in terms of um, about five times yeah okay so it's yep. it's a it's a very big step up yeah yeah. And we're seeing the speeds, you know, up over a gigabit per second compared to 150, 200 megabits per second on um, 4G. So you're sort of seeing that five-fold increase in a number of areas. Right. So in the case of, say, Eden Eden Park, um, I mean, even you, I guess you split up a gigabit, um, there's not a huge amount per person, but I guess it, com- it comes down to how it's being uh, utilised. Yeah, I mean... Like all shared medium, including fibre, fibre is a distribution technology that has a splitter that serves a number of homes, you have a peak hour and you've got to dimension the network around what that peak hour, wherever it might be, in the evenings for homes predominantly because you're streaming video. Um, For small businesses, it's during the day with um, emails and other things that they're doing. Uh, You've got to dimension the network around busy hour. And I've seen that busy hour go up. We were just talking about it the other day. When we launched 4G, we were around one gigabit per second throughput on parts of the network. We're now at 60 gigabits per second on certain parts of the network. So you've seen just in the last four years, uh, three years, the amount of capacity increase that we have to put through. Right, and and that's got to be a key part of 5G, doesn't it, is that we're all expecting more and more from 4 from our devices, from our networks, we expect to be able to live stream whether we're you know, at a game or to be able to you know watch content wherever we are. And the more people that I, I guess you know join that world of of doing these things on their devices, uh, the more the more you need to play with. I think it's the volume of video that's going up, and also the higher resolution um, video screens. You know, mm. you've got 8K and beyond. Um, they use a lot more bandwidth than traditional small screen standard definition yep yep so um 
is a stadium part of what you're doing, you know, earlier on, or is that something that will that will yeah, we've got further down the track. We've got most most of the main airports sorted out, so airports are obviously important. There's huge, um, you know, usage of people going through airports, um, stadiums, um, CBDs. We're also we're doing a mix of urban um, and uh, suburban and also looking at rural towns. So it's going to be initially Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch um, and Queenstown, but beyond that we're going to do a national rollout. And the uh, new owners signed up to a three-year to four-year rollout programme. So this is the start of the full rollout. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's good, to, good to hear. And how much does the will the Spectrum auction play into that you've got existing spectrum for whatever it is about you know say three years uh how important is is that piece for you and what challenges do you see in terms of must be existing owners of of spectrum and so on so there's a bit of a bit of transition uh there I, i presume yes so Everybody will have to vacate the spectrum. It's a bit like um, when the 700 megahertz auction was a few years ago, analog TV was on and we had to clear analog TV out to put the 4G onto the 700 megahertz. There'll be a similar process of clearance um, as far as some of the wireless service providers, uh, some of the other carriers, and whoever secures the spectrum will obviously get the 100 megahertz, 80, 100 megahertz of um, new clean bandwidth. Mm. Yeah, I remember at that time there must, with the transition, there must have been a bit of spectrum that was used for things like you know wireless uh, microphones and and things. Six hundred megahertz got used at a, at events, and there was a there was a I think some devices that were people had to I don't know throw in the bin or yep. drop on um, eBay and and sell them outside of New Zealand or something. Do you know if that's likely to happen this time around? Um, it's mainly the um, alternate technology. So there's a number of point to multipoint. If you remember WiMAX as a standard, there's a yeah. few. I wouldn't call it WiMAX, but WiMAX-like products out there that will yeah. need to be yeah. cleared. Yeah. There's a few point to point microwave links. There's a few um, uh, OANM channels that people are using for network management for uh, broadcast communications. So right. they all need to be cleared. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Okay. So a few a few considerations. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, something that, that seems to get, I would say, a lot more than its fair share of attention, uh, certainly on uh, uh, social media feeds and so on, are uh, people complaining that 5G is going to kill us all. Um, <laughs> yes. I've personally, I've personally had emails about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> what What's the... Um, you know what what's going on. I, I have yet to see any you know any content that uh, carries any sort of you know credibility. I think you know you see these things up on social media, and you th- and they're link they're linking to an article. In fact, I had um, an old friend of mine in uh, in Wellington. He's just come back to New Zealand in recent times, and and he shared he shared something. And then you know there are varying uh, you know groups of people that I come across, and and. You know, some of them are quite smart and and intelligent people, but uh, you know, I, I guess the way things get shared online, sometimes 
when somebody shares something they haven't maybe joined up all the dots and sort of mm. you know followed it through so this piece that was shared on Facebook recently I you know I clicked through and it went to this you know bizarre website uh, and and I thought well how credible is this how much of an authority is this website so yeah, I just did some simple things that I use to, to check credibility so the title of the website I googled that title does the you know does the dot com come up when you do that search I can't mm. remember what it was you know but they were so far down the stack which means you know Google didn't hold them as a particularly credible source when you you actually search their name and they're not at the top of the list right um, it, uh, be like searching for Vodafone New Zealand and, and your website sort of being you know you know a, a, a screen or two down. It'd be, it'd be, Hope not. There, 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 <laughs> there would be a real problem there, right? But the but, uh, <laughs> um, but that you know that that was where they were. And then you click through to these articles, yep. and yeah, you know, there to me there just didn't look to be really any any credibility behind them. And the you know where, where a scientist was referenced, and you looked into that person's. Um, you know expertise and it was oh well this person is a yes they've got a doctor in front of their name but it's you know it's got no, nothing to do with with um you know the relevant sort of science from you know what, what i could see maybe they had a psychology degree or um you know something um I, i'm just not seeing the dots joined up um I mean, what what would it what would it stop voter? You know, at what point would you go? Oh, this this adds up. We 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 can't do it. And you know, where do you where do you see reality on this? Where do I start? As I said, <laughs> I've personally had people email me their negative views in some uncertain terms. Actually, uh, it, around this, right? Um, it is, and I heard it you is, had a protest out outside yeah, the we did, building actually. a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, look. I'm, a, I'm an engineer and I work for Vodafone so there will be people out there that will say he's an engineer and he works for Vodafone I would expect him to say this however I would say I'm an engineer and um, I look at the fact that uh, it's electromagnetic waves and um, light is an electromagnetic wave and light can be used in a number of ways as, as is radio waves and 5G is a radio wave um, none of those are in ionising um, the ionising um, bands. Um, they are at a power level, which is part of the equation that is um, below World Health Organisation guidelines. New Zealand is a signatory to all of that. Um, and I'd also point out, as technology evolves, things normally get more mature. And we've launched 2G in the 80s, and I. As far as I'm aware, there's been no um, recorded incidents of cancer or anything from um, mobile phones or cell phones to yeah. this date. Yeah. And I would say 5G is more mature than 2G. So, you know, you're seeing yeah. the maturity going on. So, I, I, yeah, I, I those agree are the sort of that. angles I come from. Well, when I, when <laughs> I look back to uh, Vodafone uh, 2G, which it was called, um, you know, the company was Bell South at the, at the time. And um, I remember having that. There was a it was a Nokia uh, handset in, in my office. I you know signed up and 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 tried it out as I as I seem to do with anything new technology related. And um, 
there was I think there was a rating that they used to give to a handset around that time or reasonably soon after it was a SAF or something to do with um, safety yeah it was a you know some sort of safety type um, type rating and those early phones the the number was a lot higher and it sort of seemed to you know it seemed to drop down since then and the one thing that I can remember standing out to me was I had a computer uh, its lid was or the case was sort of off it and uh, it kept crashing. Now, this was running a, a beta build of uh, Windows NT 3.1, so that would place us around That's the, the, the er, early <laughs> early half of, uh, or the first half of 1993, and it was being installed off a, a fairly tall stack of um, probably three-and-a-half-inch uh, flop, floppy disks at the, at the time. Um, and... What we what we found was the system was crashing, I don't know, roughly every half an hour or something. And um, Alistair, who uh, I was working with at the time, I think we were trying to troubleshoot it. He said, "Paul, have you tried taking that uh, new fandangled cell phone thing you've got out of the room? Because something that we we don't." tend to come across much these days but you would sometimes hear a cell phone interfering with a, a sound system a speaker mm. or something and uh, I guess maybe I had external speakers and you would sometimes notice that that sound and sure enough we took the phone out of the room and um, and uh, this computer stopped uh, stopped crashing well historically we used to say um, don't take your mobile phone into the into the data centers yes we don't do that anymore yeah you know things have moved on it's premature and um, certainly within all the global health guidelines. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think, you know, we should look to the likes of the World Health Organization for you know, f- for guidance on these sort of things. If, if they're saying uh, that it, that it's all okay, then, um, you know, I guess we, we, we've got a, a fairly big big problem there. And and it seems, certainly from, from everything that I've come across, that we're on pretty, uh, pretty solid ground. So, yes, well, I believe yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so move it, moving on to um, other topics. Um, the Rural Broadband Initiative, RBI, um, that's being, well, that's continuing to sort of grow with the, the work of the Rural Connectivity Group, which you're involved in. I think you're on the, the board yes. uh, there. Can you just give us a little run through on, on what's happening on that front, because I think certainly for those that are outside of the main centres or, or anyone that uh, that travels outside the main centres, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're curious to know how things are, are yep. growing with, with sure. broadband elsewhere. So the Rural Broadband Programme Part 2, RBI 2, was um, established to push um, broadband out to the far edge of rural New Zealand productivity and all the other benefits that that gives with um, rural New Zealand um, and the things we were talking about before with 5G, 4G. It is actually a 4G programme. It's a public-private partnership, so the government's contributing um, through the telecommunications development levy, uh, 270-odd million, and uh, the telcos 2 Degrees, Spark and Vodafone, uh, contributing, uh, I think it's about 75 million there or thereabouts. Um, that's phase one, and the idea is to build around 400 um, cell sites, give or take, to um, rural New Zealand. Uh, there is actually uh, an expansion program to take that further, and there'll be another tranche of um, build. All 
scheduled to be complete uh, by around 2023. Um, the idea is that we take geographic coverage because when telcos talk about coverage, we've always talked about population coverage. That's right. Yeah, we've always seen those yeah. percentages. 98.5% sort of, yeah. population coverage. Yeah. This is to try to get it up into the high 90s right. of population coverage. Uh, and the problem is obviously there's a few, you know, 100,000, say, people outside coverage areas historically. There's also areas of coverage on the highways. Um, so mobile black spots, as they're called, on the highways where, um, you know, there's um, health and safety where people might have an accident or breakdown. It's to improve coverage there. And also tourist hotspots, so car parking and um, laybys and um, car park spots where people might be um, stopping off. So it's to cover a three or four angles. The mobile black spot program will include 3G voice as well as 4G data and the um, broadband, pure broadband component will be um, 4G. And we've got, um, obviously, IoT is another big chunk of this. So if IoT, broadband, obviously, for connectivity, but IoT for rural productivity. I see a huge benefit there for various applications we can talk about in a minute. Right. Um, so we launched the program. We set up a, a team. Rural Connectivity Group is the company. Uh, within that, there's a, a reasonably good level of staffing. And um, took a while to go through vendor selection, uh, site acquisition, we've got quite a big pipeline of sites acquired. We're running slightly behind on the build programme though, so that's where some of the news would have come through recently. Um, we're putting a plan together to get that back on track by June next year. And um, we already have 3G working on some of the mobile black spots. We have uh, a number of 4G sites live. We'll be at around 60, mid 60s live by Christmas this year. So. Good progress, but not yeah. where we need to be. Yeah. But I can assure you that there is complete confidence in the company and complete support by the shareholders, being Vodafone, Spark and Two Degrees. The other directors on the company and I get on very, very well. We have a great relationship. That's excellent. So, yeah, that's going to make a huge difference, isn't it, for for those sort of edge scenarios where we've you know, we've had, had troubles in the past with connectivity fills those things in and um, yeah, I think yeah, overall for New Zealand it's really important that we have great connectivity as far and wide as, as possible. Yes, yeah, so narrowband IoT, which is um, the next generation 4G, 5G IoT, we're thinking because it's um, low power, wide area co coverage, we're expecting to get to about 80% geographic coverage, which basically means some of the national parks. So if you're thinking about rural productivity, sensors on irrigators, um, you know, scales for cows, milking sheds, you name it, we can automate it with this uh, new technology coming through. So that's going to be really good for rural, rural New Zealand. That's great. What would you say geographically was our coverage before the start of you know, the geographic, broadband initiative? We sort of say 50 to 55% geography. Right. Yeah. okay. So, so it's, it's a, a massive, big step massive, massive increase. Yeah, so yeah. today we have... Um, around 1,600 cell sites nationwide. So we're adding another 600 with, with this program. So that's a big a big jump. Right. And um, I saw a little uh, news come through from Pacific uh, with them sending up their, uh, their satellite 
on a on a SpaceX flight. I think I saw a, yes, an, an announcement last week. Had a couple week. of chats and, to these guys. Yeah. 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 Um, is that uh, is that something that you would you would see being a, a a sort of part of mainstream connectivity and the sort of thing that Vodafone would would likely be uh, offering to fill some of those gaps in the in the future? Absolutely. So as as you may or may not be aware, I used to be. Um, uh, used to run Farmside. Of course, yes. So Farmside was a satellite rural provider, still is actually, um, but the issue with uh, geostationary satellites has always been latency. So a lot of these low Earth orbit satellites that are being launched means you have, um, instead of one big satellite sitting geostationary above the, above the Earth in, in a stationary orbit, basically, um, you have them at a low, much lower Earth orbit, but you have a lot more of them. But your latency goes from 600 milliseconds down to a few milliseconds. Um, certainly not 5G latency levels, no, but, no, not, but, not but a lot, lot better. All, no, and no. I see, I see a huge application for that for um, things like uh, dock. You know, for sensors out in, in Dockland, um, mm, for mm. trampers and hikers. Um, also, actually, when we move to um, emergency services networks, yes. where um, the emergency services are currently on legacy analog and digital two way radios, those over time will move to 5G, 4G, 5G radio with a, something called a network slice, which is a 5G terminology. Um, but they'll also have spots of coverage where satellite will close those gaps for emergency services. So, definitely, satellite's a key part of what we need in our toolkit of options. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be primary communication for the yeah, the large majority of applications but it will it'll yeah, as you say it's part of that toolkit yes important, important uh, I mean, part, part to play ultimately it would be good to see people move away from um, what is my physical connectivity to what are my speeds and feeds and what am I doing with it mm. so if mm. it's IOT it might need a different speed and feed to a high quality video um, that's yeah. where we'd love to get to ultimately yeah yeah now where I used to used to live uh, in West Auckland, there was the particular sort of t- topography of that location meant based on where the cell sites were that uh, certain parts of the property I didn't get very good uh, coverage from Vodafone. Now, is this Green Height? Uh, no, no. This is out. <laughs> this is out. Sort of West Auckland. Yeah. Um, and sort of Oratea yeah, yeah, okay. uh, area. And what I found was that there was one network that offered, in New Zealand, that offered a, a femtocell, the Vodafone uh, oh, Shore wow. Signal product. Us, yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and very, very very helpful because that basically, you know, solved uh, so, solved that, that issue. And as my, my primary mobile um you know, has 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 generally been Vodafone. I you know now carry multiple uh, phones and and you know use a mix of networks, but um, that was very convenient. Now changes mean that the Vodafone Shore Signal product that would allow you basically put a mini cell site in your in your home that that product's disappearing. Is that right? Okay, so um, Shore Signal is a femtocell, as you pointed out. We launched that um, two thousand and eleven. 
Um, Been around for a while. Yeah, and at that time, our 3G network was on 2100 megahertz radio frequency. So just about the time we launched 4G, we re-farmed a lot of the 2G radio spectrum, which was on 900 megahertz. Right. Because we still run 2G, mm, so we had to mm. shrink the 2G spectrum down and push 3G into part of the 900 megahertz spectrum. When we did that, that improved uh, the quality of coverage for um, the for the voice network. Okay. Um, so that was one thing we did. Um, I'll come back to the femtocell in a minute. The other thing for 4G coverage is we launched on 1800 megahertz, and I think I said before we're rolling out um, about 400. 400 4G cell site upgrades right now. We're at about 122 of those through the 400 program. That's on 700 megahertz to improve 4G coverage and capacity. So we are continually improving what's called macro coverage. With um, femtocell, it was it's effectively pico coverage, as, as you rightly said, it's basically a small cell site in your home connected back to your um, broadband network. Because that product was launched in 2011, it's actually end of life. And we cannot actually buy um, the kit that goes in your home anymore. It's end of life. Um, So we are still, we're not turning the product off. We just can't guarantee how long we'd be able to supply you with um, equipment in the home. So we don't really want to have people say, well, you gave me this, it's been in for a year, and now you're telling me it's obsolete. So we're saying it's end of life. We are working on a replacement. Firstly, we're looking at small cell technology. So small cell technology is um, in between the femtocell and a macro macro site. The price point of those has really come down dramatically since 2011. So for businesses, I would be saying use a small cell. Right. What sort of what sort of number might might you imagine? I mean, I know it's probably yeah, not the, your area to to you know hand, necessarily handle the pricing, but what are those things typically worth? Um, in the in the low thousands, right? Yeah. Right. So okay. for a business, yeah. it gives you really good coverage in the business mm, and mm, high mm. performance. Uh, and there is actually a um, a four G variant of the Sure Signal product, which we are looking at. And the other thing we're looking at is uh, voice over Wi Fi. So there's a number of options we are reviewing from small cell right through to a Sure Signal replacement. Right. Uh, we're not turning off what you've got today. Mm. We're just saying that there is an end of life to it because yeah, we just can't get yeah. parts for it. Yeah, yeah. Now the voice over Wi-Fi, it's an interesting one because uh, Two Degrees got a little bit of a, you know, a jump there and have had, you know, had that in the market for, for a little while. Uh, and I guess it, it has a you know, couple of nice things, that, that type of scenario, you're able to take your calls where you've got Wi-Fi even if there's not um, you know, the cellular coverage uh, and also potentially that uh, you can be Roaming without you know paying for roaming, if you've got Wi-Fi and you're you're somewhere offshore, uh, you can potentially you know take and make and make calls as though you were uh, as are in you're in New Zealand if you you know turned off your data roaming, for instance. Uh, what are the what are the challenges with that? Or is that I mean, it sounds so like a, it's certainly something on your radar. Um, the first one is device availability. So not all devices are voice over Wi-Fi capable. So there is a a gap there as yeah. far as devices. So that would be the biggest thing I would, would say is one of the areas that sort of we didn't roll that out as fast. We had the Shaw signal, which worked on pretty much all 3G devices, so we didn't have a problem there. Um, so as devices become more voice over Wi-Fi capable, yes, we're looking at that as one of our alternatives. Um, yeah. The other aspect, you said when you're roaming, but that depends whether that's been a, 
opened up for a roaming capability. Right, uh, and right. Some of the roaming applications, you want to make sure the broadband that you're getting has the right quality of it's, service it's or you will not get a good experience. Yeah, yeah, no, fair, fair, uh, fair, fair point, yeah. Okay, so that's that's something that may well may well come in the. Yes, yes. Yep. No, we're looking at all of those options as part of our um, replacement for sure signal. Yep, and um, fill people in on um, Volti Voice over uh, LTE or over the the four G yeah. network because that that's something you've made available in uh, in recent months, right? Yes. Um, so Voice over LTE is four G native voice uh, and five G native voice. Basically, it's a Voice over IP end to end internet protocol product. Um, it requires uh, a number of upgrades to your core, which we've put in place, which is part of the whole evolution to a 5G cloud core. The first bit, big bit was the uh, customer subscriber database, the CSDB. I recently turned off our home location register, which saves us electricity. Um, so as part of that, we switched that off. We've moved to this new um, CSDB um, that was needed. That's also needed for 5G, but it was also for Volte. Um, so voice over LTE gives you a number of advantages. Um, firstly, you get high definition native voice end-to-end. Um, you get really fast call setup times. You'll notice right. if you so, so you, your call quality is as a as a step up on on what what we used yes, to. Yes, we had yeah. native HD voice, um, which we rolled out a while ago, rather than standard definition voice, which had a higher codec sample rate. So that was rolled out, um, but. The Volte product seems to be really high quality end-to-end. Uh, -end. Um, we're seeing call setup times as the other big advantage. Um, so it doesn't so, it take so long when you you know when you try and start a call to actually get it, yep. get, it get set up. Yeah. So um, no, we're seeing great performance. Um, we launched it June of this year, and um, nationwide um, this month. Okay. Yep. And and the the key. Uh, difference there was before you were having to really you were sort of having to switch I guess if you were wanting to do data on your phone as well as uh, a voice call at, at the same time what would actually happen there what was different so the way it used to work was if you were on native 4G um, and you had an inbound phone call or wanted to make an outbound phone call it was called circuit switch fallback so you basically fall from the 4G network you reselect 3G network, you make the phone call, uh, you, so you drop off the 4G network, and then you go back to the 4G network at the end of the call. So there's multiple layers, and that's what led to the call setup times and other issues that you, you're alluding to. Yeah. Um, but you needed native um, voice over LTE, which we launched and we were the first to get into the market. Yeah, oh, good, good stuff. Um, now, Spark have had a little bit of attention in the last few days because they've launched a, a fixed wireless broadband offering uh, with a much bigger cap than what we've seen in, in the past, um, 600 gigs. Now, I'm not too sure just how many locations are going to be able to get that initially because it's going to be, you know, that that's going to be dependent on location and uh, it's not just something that's available, you know, everywhere instantly. Um, where's Vodafone heading heading on that front? Because I know you like to compete. <laughs> Competitive nature, yeah. <laughs> um, so look. Um, 
we are, as I said, rolling out 400 4G infill sites using um, L700 Spectrum. Uh, that plus our 1800 Spectrum gives us quite a big capacity on our 4G network. We're actually re-farming 2100 megahertz for 4G, so we'll have um, uh, 700 megahertz 1800 megahertz, 2100 megahertz and 2600 megahertz all on 4G and we will also be doing a 900 megahertz 4G trial in Wellington post Christmas. So we have quite a rich 4G layer um, which will give us a lot of capacity for, um, for fixed wireless access. So that's a big investment that was part of this whole 5G program. I guess the icing on the cake is we will have the 5G product out there um, very soon and that's where we'll be able to do um, some pretty special things. The um, higher data caps, every cell site is a shared resource and there's so many bits you can get off that cell site. So if somebody's got a 600 gigabyte plan, you won't get too many plans like that off a single cell site. So I think you'll find it's reasonably targeted. Or your, or your performance is going gonna, is gonna to yep. drop, drop yep. down. However, with our 5G, I feel confident, you know, we'll be way up there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that's, I think, certainly something to look forward to, uh, you know, especially for those who, who can't get a, you know, for instance, a nice uh, ultra-fast broadband, you know, fibre connection. So yes. uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see options continuing to improve. Now... Where's your, what used to be called the FiberX product, which is your hybrid coaxial um, fiber uh, network, um, where's, where's that at? Because that was, um, I guess it, it goes back to the uh, uh, Telstra Clear acquisition and before that through a few different brands, Saturn, Saturn, and, Saturn uh, Communications, and, and, yeah. and, and so on. Um, Kiwi Cable, I think it started out as. Right, right. <laughs> and, there were, and, and back, uh, I don't know, around those days, um, um, I, I ended up providing, and I can't quite remember what I did, but... Um, because it was it was it was a long time ago, but um, there was someone also dabbling uh, or, or looking into putting a uh, a, a second uh, copper network in. I don't think they got very far. There was one block on the I know around Waiwai Road on yes, the on the, on on the, the North, North Shore, Shore. I remember looking at that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, but but um, the the hybrid fibre um, coaxial network, you know, did get put in the ground and a, a lot of digging and so on. Um, Vodafone New Zealand, of course, now now own that. Um, what's the what's the lifespan of that, and uh, you know where where does it where does it fit? Well, firstly, it has been rebranded, which you quite rightly pointed out. <laughs> um, but we won't go down that avenue. <laughs> um, so People look, can Google that if they're, we, uh, they're um, curious. We launched um, what's called Doxus three point one. Yes, um, uh, twenty sixteen, I think it was. So the aim of that was to increase the capacity. Um, we now have a one gigabit per second uh, plan, which is important. Um, we also at that time made it Vodafone TV, the new Vodafone TV set-top box capable. Um, at the moment, we are running a DOCSIS 3.0 legacy network and a DOCSIS 3.1 next generation network. Um, the DOCSIS 3.0 has um, plain old telephony, so standard telephone lines going into a telephone exchange effectively right, right. it has a broadband and it has the legacy Vodafone or Telstra satin TV set top box yep. um, 
we are trying to migrate people across to the newer product that has, um, you know, it's mainly the in-home experience, but you have to migrate the set-top box, you have to migrate the telephone, you have to... Mi- so there's a whole pile of in-home right, stuff right. to get right. Yep. Once that's all sorted, we would be... Um, at the moment, the spectrum, because it's again um, radio spectrum, just like a base station. Right. So the radio spectrum goes from about 300 megahertz up to 700 megahertz. About half of it's used for the legacy and about half of it's used for the new. Once we've moved everybody across to the new, we can re-harvest and double the speed and double the spectrum, oh, just like a cool. base station. So there is a lot of life left in it. Um, over time, you know, 5G, fibre, other technologies, I guess, but for the time being, it's got life left in it. Yep. Um, what we have also done when we did the DOCSIS 3.1 was we were the first to put GPON 2 to the edge of the network. So we have fibre to the curb and then coaxial cable into the home. So we have GPON 2 to the curb, which gives us a really good backhaul for other technologies. So we've got lots of options. We're working through them. Yeah. Oh, it's it's good just to have a little uh, update on that front. Anything else we haven't covered that we should should be talking about, Tony? Wow, there, um, there was something else in the back of my so, mind before, and now I've forgotten what it was. So uh, no, I just just on the on the five G front again, I yeah. guess. Um, look, it's the most exciting project for us and for the country. Um, I think the main area is going to be the applications that sit on top. So working with some of our partners, police, BNZ, um, waste management. BNZ, they're all really keen to see how 5G can be used in their in their niche, uh, and looking at how that can we can create applications not just at a network layer but at an application layer. So I think a lot of the focus is going to be on innovation and how that can be utilised, and we're keen to work with people on that. Yeah, well, I th- yeah, I think it, it's going to be really interesting to watch and and just see you know what people come up with, but. It seems that um, there there is a you know a real interest in in five G, and it seems that our New Zealand organisations are are keen to innovate and and use the the latest of technology, um, you know where it solves a problem for them. And um, I guess we'll uh, we'll watch with interest to, uh, to to see what problems are able to be uh, to be solved with this. It's amazing new, when you think wave. you know. A few years back, we were considered to be slightly behind on some of these technologies we're way ahead these days and we want to make sure the applications take us to the next level of innovation and maybe export and other growth opportunities in high tech yeah well that's certainly certainly what interests me is you know how as a country we can we can solve problems that maybe others haven't solved or because we see things differently we think a little bit differently we move a bit faster uh you know if we can uh, we can Come up with these new ideas and um, and you know hopefully export them out to the world. Then that has a has a good flow on you know economically, which has a good flow on you know right across the world for, being for, of for New Zealand, right? Yeah, so, that's uh, why I returned yeah. from overseas after twelve years in the UK. It was to be part of this country and help commit to helping it be a better place. Good. Well. All the best in that uh, journey, Tony. Very good to catch up again, and we'll look forward to uh, uh, to the next time. We'll have to give you a trial when it goes live, eh? Yes, yes, very much looking forward to uh, to, to seeing it go go live. Um, oh, there, there was a, a, a quick one other thing. Um, Chorus, of course, announced, made an announcement uh, yesterday around uh, rolling out um, 10 GPON, and... That will, uh, you know, no doubt be of interest to uh, to some. 
uh, getting faster connectivity into their you know, I imagine workplace is going to be where, where most of the interest will be, but I know some of our listeners will be wanting uh, two gigabits or, or four gigabit uh, fibre to their to their homes. Um, you did a little bit of a trial? Yeah, on, we did uh, some testing that. of it. Um, so obviously the original um, release of um, the UFB product was a 2.5 gig shared amongst a number of homes, roughly 16 homes per 2.5 gig. So what they've had to do is upgrade the transport network to um, 10 gig um, from 2.5 and then share that potentially to a a smaller number of um, homes passed or businesses passed. I see the initial applications because of that mainly being for businesses, as you pointed out. But ultimately, um, who knows? I mean, homes are going to want more and more capacity over the years. As you've seen with wireless, it's no different on the wire, wired side. So yep. it's um, it's an exciting development. Yeah, good, good. Well, there, there is a little video I, I took um, at that session with uh, Chorus yesterday. So uh, that, that will be up on, uh, on, on one or two of our channels, um, likely YouTube and uh, and so on for those that are interested, and it is. Um, I guess it's 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 quite uh, satisfying. I mean, that's a from the trial, so it's not uh, doesn't tie into the speed that they're offering. For, they're going to be marketing initially, which is the two and four gig, yes, um, or me, me, sorry, gigabits um, uh, product. Although I hear an eight gigabits offering is is um, you know is probably likely to uh, to follow. So uh, yeah, that speed test result looked. Uh, Looked pretty snappy at, at north of uh, eight gigabits per second. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess people will be will will certainly, as they always do, figure out a way to uh, uh, to smother that that sort of performance. Um, yeah, well, it's multiple high definition, ultra high definition, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I did. I I was thinking back to what sort of connectivity speeds were when I uh, I left uh, high school. And I worked out that we've seen about a million, a million times no, increase in that absolutely time, what it is, which completely just you know blow, blows my mind yep. actually because, yeah, I mean, yeah, if if anybody had had told me that at that time, uh, and tried to explain how we how we would do it, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure I could have taken that in, but the fact that we've seen that and no doubt there will be there will be further increases. Well, if you extrapolate <laughs> yeah, it back, Paul, um, the best um, uh, Morse code was 40 words a minute. Right, okay. <laughs> so. Well, we're, we're certainly, uh, we, we blow that away by a lot more than a million times, that's for sure. That's right, and GPRS yeah. to 5G is about a million too. Yeah, yeah, wow. Oh, good stuff. Thanks, Tony. Thank you very much for having me. Great. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in to the New Zealand Tech Podcast again. Um, be sure to uh, to follow us on LinkedIn, where we are fresh and new on LinkedIn. And we also have our brand new uh, channel on YouTube. So uh, we've moved over to a dedicated uh, YouTube space for the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So uh, join us there. And, of course, you can uh, you can um, you know, track myself Paul Spain and uh, and NZ Tech podcast on a number of other uh, places such as Facebook and Twitter all right thanks everyone See thank ya. you bye thanks Tony great the New Zealand Tech podcast brought to you by Gorilla Technology proactive and strategic IT.